Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 91. If you watched last week's episode, you will see that uh, I'm only one-handed, still in the same sort of uh, feeling at the minute, trying to pretend I'm not in a lot of pain and try to pretend I'm really hard, but I'm not. Um, today, another episode uh, that I look forward to in the fact that I will have no idea what I'm talking about most of the time. Um, my crop knowledge is lower than most of the soil. Uh, I am just terrible at it in general. Last week we had uh, Millie Fife on talking about young farmers, the Shorthorn Society, Oxford Farming Conference, RABI, one of those people um, that for a relatively young age has really fitted a lot in. And next week we've got um, Rack of Glam on Instagram, Justine, I believe, Fulton is her surname, uh, talking about the butchery side there and sort of her challenges she's faced um, coming into the butchery industry uh, as, as a female, which is a really interesting episode coming out there as well. This week, Another brilliant episode as well with Louise Penn, Louise Penn Agronomy on Instagram. Um, Louise, would you like to say hello? Yeah, hi everyone, uh, Louise Penn, uh, yeah, agronomist and farming consultant and farmer's daughter, so all things farming. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. <laughs> and just before we hit record, Louise said, uh all of the things I have that are interesting are farming. And that is exactly what this podcast is for. So I'm looking forward to it a lot. Um, I made a point of saying crops are not a thing I understand. In the office at work, um, anyone mentions crops. They sort of ask everyone's opinion and sort of just quickly scale past me. It's not that I'm not interested. It's just that I'm really not great on it. So I'm quite looking forward to this episode, learn a bit myself. Um, Louise, just for the listeners, could you give us a wee bit of a background on yourself where you said you're a farmer's daughter, so obviously from a farm, was was farming as a youngster something you were always interested in? So my family are tenants on a mixed farm in Northamptonshire, uh, so got about 650 acres of arable crops, uh, and then we've got about two and a half thousand sheep and some cattle. Uh, growing up, I was always involved in the farm. I had an egg business when I was growing up, so... Me and my brothers used to um, sell eggs on the driveway, sell some vegetables, sell chickens. So always been quite entrepreneurial uh, from a young age and involved in the farm in that way. Uh, you know, making making money, helping out, going shepherding with dad. Lambing's probably always my favourite time of the year. Um, but I didn't really see it as a career as such. Not when I was growing up. I was, I've always been quite studious. Uh yeah. I'd always come home do my homework and liked the, the I've always been academic so I'd always was at school I was like wanted to go to uni but didn't really see agriculture as um a career path which is why when I kind of learned more about the crop size and how much it's linked to science and the agronomic side that was when I kind of really got interested because I was actually you know you want to be fairly clever to understand some of this stuff and I realized how complex um, growing a crop is it's not just dad jumping on a sprayer or a tractor there's actually some thought behind it so that was really interesting and that's when I was like actually you know I do actually want a career in this 
And, and what age was that when you realised, oh, maybe I do want a career in this? Was this before uni or was this, when did that come uh, This was probably about when I was doing probably my A-levels um, and thinking about what I was going to study at university. Um, and then doing agriculture was the obvious choice. Um, and I went to Newcastle and did agriculture and farm business management. And was that was that a three-year course, was it? Yeah, three years course, yeah. yeah. Did you have like a like a project dissertation thing to do in that? Yeah, I did my dissertation on urease inhibitors for fertilizers, which was oh, okay. very exciting, but actually quite topical um, because they're going to become um, compulsory to use. Well, could you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, so basically DEFRA want us to use, so urease inhibitors, it slows down the hydrolysis of urea, um, which stops it from volatilizing as much. So it releases nitrous oxide emissions, which the government wants to try and reduce uh, as part of their climate targets. So basically they want people to use urease inhibitors with their fertilizer. I can't remember the specific date, but you've got to use it as you head towards the summer um, because your crop, your fertilizer is more likely to volatilize. Um, so yeah, quite topical. If anything has summed up what I said earlier about this is going to be a podcast where I'm going to be listening to things that I want to pretend I understand, it's that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope what I'm saying is technically correct, but it should be. <laughs> wow. Um, God, I've filmed 91 episodes. I don't think I've ever sounded so smart in one sentence. That was impressive. Um, what, what, so like you, you did your, your project on that. What, what results did you find? Um, I started a literature review and just concluded that they are effective in reducing emissions because um, at that point it was the government was trying to decide whether or not they would they put together a number of options of how they'd maybe mitigate reducing emissions and that was just one of the options so it was kind of reviewing where that was a good idea and then I looked at loads of different studies that have been done to see if it was effective and I concluded that it was um but that was a long time now. I was like back in 2018, I think. It's only five years ago. It's not. Well, <laughs> it's not feels a long time ago, anyway. <laughs> yeah, when you consider COVID has been three, it does feel like yeah, it feels like ten years of time. But um, you mentioned that your sort of your favourite time as a youngster was at lambing time. Did did at any point you see livestock in the future or no? Just a fun thing to do at the time. Um, I do. Yeah, lambing is definitely my favourite time of year um I would like I don't know what my future is long term I mean I love my job very career driven but I would love to live on a farm I've got my family farm uh so we're tenants we're on AHA tenancy which means we've got one generation left but I have two brothers that are twins um Robert and George and they're both interested in farming as well so quite unique that as a family there's three of us and we're all dead keen on farming so whether or not I'd have the chance to take on the farm, um, if there was the opportunity, then I would. Um, but either way, even if I'm living on a farm or not, I'd like to have small holding and have some animals. Um, I'm very interested in like, growing my own food. So having uh, yeah. you know, my own veg patch, um, growing my own, growing my own lamb and um, chickens and whatever. So. We'll see what what kind of scale depends on where I end up living, but I definitely I definitely want to have some involvement, and I've been home every weekend uh, at the moment to help out with lambing. So going back to that childhood entrepreneur, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's something so quaint about that idea about a small and that sort of thing, isn't there? It's really mm. nice feeling about it. 
Um, so if you're going home every weekend to take it, you live quite close to home? Uh, about an hour. So right. it's not too bad. But I have clients um, spread out over a number of counties. So I kind of dip into homes if I'm near home crop walking two days on the trot. I usually just end up staying at home uh, at the farm, yeah. um, which works works quite well, really. Is Newcastle Uni far from there? Uh, yeah, that was so, yeah, a lot further. Yeah, let's go further afield, so I didn't have to come home in the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you want, you want to be at the pub and that instead of working from home for nothing. Uh, that was that was my intention when I left home as well, going to uni. Um, so you've you've left uni and uh, you've uh, what, what what was next for you? What came after uni? Uh, everyone from Newcastle, like pretty much my whole year, all seemed to just it was the thing that everyone went to Australia. So okay. I went to Australia. Um, so, yeah, I flew out there with um, two Irish girls that I was friends with. And I went and worked on a 10,000 hectare farm driving a chase bin uh, in WA, which was very good fun. So I was working on yeah, a huge farm with loads and loads of different people. So Germans and uh, French guys and Kiwis. And, yeah, we had a great time, spent all of the money that I earned on beer. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was such a great experience and from an agronomy perspective um, it's completely different over there like you the farm that I was on was um, like north east of Perth and the yields were really low I think they're averaging like 1.5 tons per hectare wow. which was so low um, so yeah and that was what, here. what was that was that wheat yeah wow that's low good god yeah. But it was like just like a sand pit. Yeah. Found out when I got my tractor stuck in the sand. It's <laughs> did Did you enjoy that? Did you see a career in driving tractors? Um, I like I like driving tractors, but yeah. I kind of prefer to be out on farm and uh, you know, trying to trying to be clever and trying to help people's farming businesses. I do, I do like sitting on a tractor. Uh, I sit on a tractor at home and um, help out. Um, but it's enjoyable for a short amount of time and then it just gets a bit repetitive. No, I'd completely agree, actually. Um, how long were you out there for? Um, so I was out about six months. So I worked on the farm, did some travelling, uh, travelled around Thailand, um, went to Bali. Uh, yeah. And then, well, then it was COVID. So I came back because I thought, that my whole family was going to die. It was it was a horrible time. It was it was it was, a, it was it was awful. I just remember panicking and being like, "I'm literally on the other side of the world, and I can't get home." And I literally got the last plane out of Australia. Was that in March? Was that right at the end of March? Jeez. Yeah. So I was in the airport for like two days whilst they were the English government was lobbying the Singapore government to let our plane refuel. Um, wow. It was very stressful. That's quite scary, actually. I mean, the amount of folk I seem to know that were out and had to come back at yeah. that stage must have been. Was Was there a time where you were like, I don't know if I'm getting back? Oh yeah, there was. Right. Um, I mean, what I because I was trying to organise a job out there. Um, okay. On the farm, because I was like, if I'm going to be stuck here, then I need need job. Um, so I had organised a job to do um, a seeding, so go drilling back in mm -hmm. WA. But they closed all the borders. 
and we were like we physically don't have time to hire a car and get across the border we were like we maybe might be able to get across the border in time but so in the end we decided not to do it um but yeah it was very strange yeah no wonder could you tell us a bit about I mean, this is totally not food and farm related but it's quite interesting tell us a bit about uh thailand thailand well i'd never really i never went on family holidays as a kid so i'd never really yeah. been out of westernized culture so flying into bangkok was a, a culture shock um but no i really like really like thailand um we went up to uh chiang mai which is really really nice that's up north um went to see the elephants um went island hopping um yeah completely different culture but i really really enjoyed it i'd recommend going to thailand although i wish i'd gone to um vietnam and cambodia because everyone says yeah. that's really well so maybe one day i'll go back and travel those countries was that part of the plan had covid not ruined it uh, the plan was never to go to Thailand. Okay. What happened was there were all those, do you remember there were all those fires in Australia on the West Coast? Yeah, yeah, yeah Really yeah. bad fires. So because of those fires, I couldn't go and travel the East Coast. Sorry, the East Coast. The East Coast, which I was meant to do. So at the time, I was like, well, Thailand's quite cheap, so I'll just go there for a month. That'll be class. That's that's good, yeah. I've got a few friends at the minute in Thailand that just... Uh, I, I was speaking to a mate, he was like, what's your biggest regret? And I was like, oh my God, that's deep. And I kind of regret not travelling at like that no responsibility age. <laughs> you know, like, I'm a lecturer now and whatever, I get a mortgage and whatever. I'm like, I wish I'd just yeah. went for it. Um, no, I very yeah. much have that view. I try and, to be fair, I've done a lot of travelling. I did a lot of travelling last year. I'm doing more this year. But um, I figured, whilst I have no ties, to just go yeah. Although I keep saying this is my last trip, this is my last trip, and then I end up going somewhere else. But oh well. well, I'll be honest, in the last three days where I've been sort of stuck at home from work, someone mentioned Skyscanner to me. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> you go to Austria. You get really cheap flights. Like, even if you want to go somewhere for the weekend, it's super cheap. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I think I might actually do it over summer, just book a few places and see where I end up, because I've never done it really. I've been to Holland and Iceland, and that's it. Uh, out with the UK, so got to get some more miles under me, I think. Um, yeah, so yeah, you had to come back from from Australia, which is a shame. Maybe plan to wait out a bit longer. Um, what was next? What was next? Did you find a job straight away, or was working on? The well, farm? I came back in the middle of lambing, so of course we find um, <laughs> that was great. I had a job straight away. Um, didn't even really notice. I mean, we were very lucky being farmers because you didn't really notice that COVID was going on because life was just normal. You know, you went out, you worked on the farm um and that was fairly normal um so yeah I did lambing and then applied for a few jobs um and I'd always wanted to work for Hutchinson's um which is a can company they have a really really good training program and I kind of for the last few years been speaking to the right people and you know trying to trying to get myself in there on their radar so I applied for a job with them and I was very lucky to be accepted onto their training program um so I started that in November of that year after coming back from traveling in March, um, after working on the farm in the summer. And then I was with Hutchinson's for about 18 months, um, then did the majority of their training program, did my basis, did my facts, um, spent a lot of time behind teams, to be honest, because um, <laughs> a lot, lot of COVID in that time. But yeah, so did did there and then started to um, 
pick up my own clients and spend most of that time shadowing other agronomists. And uh, just before we got on to Hutchinson's today, that period of three or four months post lockdown was some of the best weather. It was lovely. Yeah, it was you know, really nice. That was just working on the farm, yeah. running after sheep, sitting on the tractor. Yeah. No, it was. I've, I've said this a few times. I always feel guilty saying it, but it was one of the best few months of my life. Like just <laughs> on the farm, being actually paid for being on the farm. So it was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a really nice time. I feel a bit guilty saying that, but uh, it was lovely. So you started started Hutchinson's. Could you tell us a bit about like what your sort of what what a day day in your life was at that company? I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm, from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years, or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Um, so when it wasn't lockdown or COVID, um, so as a trainee, you're getting up, so I drove drive to um, meet one of my colleagues um, who would be fully trained agronomist um, and I basically a lot of my time was going out with them for the day so shadowing them so they would go and look at their clients farms and um, I would be I would come along with them um, with you know agronomist you walk crops and we'd go through some of these decisions and they'd ask me you know what would you do on this field um, and then we'd talk about different scenarios and um, talk about how best to manage your clients and all of the other other thought process that that you go on um go through and I was doing that pretty much um most days of the week and then also trying to pick up some of my own clients so a bit of cold calling as well which isn't there wasn't the best fun but um it was I think it's, it's a good it's a good thing to do good skill to learn isn't it yeah it's yeah. really daunting at times and some people would be not very nice and you'd kind of go back down the drive and be like oh okay maybe I'll just go home now but you know some some farms you'd go on you'd have the most interesting conversations and um you know I still know a lot of people um for all the cold calling that I did um when I was at Hutchinson so it's like gauging that is this person ready to speak to or should I come back tomorrow yeah. <laughs> well it's difficult because you're not basis qualified or you're recently basis qualified and you're basically going on a farm and wanting their agronomy trying to you know get get your foot in there when they've probably already got agronomists that they've had for years I mean the relationship the farmers have with their agronomists is you know they're very very close relationships yeah. you, know, you speak to you know some big farms they'll speak to their agronomists you know at least on a weekly basis and if if not some farms will speak daily if it's a, if it's a bit very big farm and their agronomist is very involved so it's a hard relationship to to crack yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And, and you mentioned basis and facts, which I was going to ask if you had um, and, and and what was involved there. Could you tell us what's involved in basis and facts? Because I remember hearing about it and thinking, well, that doesn't sound like much. But as I grew older, I realised that is much. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically the qualification that you have to have to practice agronomy. Um, and then your facts qualification is um, in order to do like sign off like fertiliser recommendations. Um, and it's it's pretty hard, especially from my point of view, because I had to learn all about potatoes and sugar beet, and there's not really any of that growing around me. Um, but you've got to learn, you know, all of your different your different crops, um, all of the different pests, their life cycles, um, the thresholds for um, treatment, 
Um, you've got to learn the different diseases and their life cycles and what products you might use. And then making sure that, you know, you know, the cultural controls as well, because ultimately the last thing we want to do, the last thing you do is pick up a can. And it's all the other things prior to that that you can do so that you, you know, your can's your last option. Um, but no, basis, basis is really, really good. But it that is ultimately like the foundations and it's then the stuff from then on that you kind of build on. I like that. The can's the last option. That's a nice way to look at it. Um, what What's involved in getting your basis and facts? Like how long does that take? For someone listening, they're thinking, oh, I'm looking at getting that. What, what are they expecting to come across? Uh, it depends, I guess, what provider you use, like who you do it with. Um, but it would take you'd probably want to give yourself like four months um, to do the various bits of training and the studying. There's a lot of studying involved. And then, I mean, I was lucky because my, with my job, I got to go out with agronomists, but um, I've got friends who have done it um, who aren't, don't, you know, you need to have an agronomist to go out with because, you know, I went, I went off to Norfolk and stuff and went and walked potatoes with agronomists over there, which, you know, was invaluable because, I don't know much about potatoes. I don't look after any potatoes now, but that's like a whole different ball game to say a, a wheat crop. It's all different chemistry, different pests. Um, and yeah, a lot, of, a lot of work involved. So being able to go out and do an agronomist will kind of make it a lot easier if you are thinking about doing your basis qualification. Um, on on sort of more the facts side, the fertilizer side, we've we've seen mad price changes in fertilizer in the last year shooting up to four figures and now sort of coming yeah. down in the last couple of months we don't really know what's next has has agronomy in general changed hugely in the last year because of that or is it still a similar sort of principle if you will but but just working down different routes yeah i think it has changed and i think it's almost i mean obviously the price increases are when you look at the budgets and the budgets I put together, it's staggering the difference that it makes to the, to the bottom line, the gross margin that you're making on that crop. But it has meant that farmers are thinking, I mean, this is more from my regenerative and soil health point of view, but you know, in the past when something's cheap, you just put it on and you don't really question it as much. Whereas farmers are really thinking like considering every incremental bit of nitrogen that you're putting on and whether whether you need it so a majority of our clients we've been doing nitrogen response trials um because you get you get 85 percent of your growth from the first 100 kilos of nitrogen so anything you know most people are putting on 220 so anything after that you know it's giving your extra yield but it's it's a proper curve so it's encouraging farmers to do their own trials because you know you can see what someone else is down the road has done um or read something in a in a book or an email but ultimately no one else has got your soil type um and your farm and it trouble is it changes year to year so it's doing nitrogen response trials every year but you can really think about what you're doing and a lot of people last year did cut back on the amount of nitrogen they were using um and then even from like the carbon point of view your majority of your carbon footprint comes from the fertilizer that you're putting on so that's another reason that people are kind of looking at do i need to be putting on as much nitrogen well i, I asked that question because i expected the answer you'd give because i know you're quite regenerative focused and, and you speak a lot about it eh, on social media um what what other 
what would be the word? Um, not systems, but what, what options are people now using as opposed to just lumping their fertiliser on willy-nilly? What are they looking at instead? What, instead of using as much fertiliser? Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a move towards using less bagged N, um, some synthetic fertilisers. Organic manures is a great way to get to get nitrogen on that's not, you know, it's in more of a natural form. Um, another thing people are doing, you know, well, you've got your nitrogen trials doing M-min testing. So that looks at what nitrogen that you've got in the soil that will be available throughout the season. Um, and then with like more of my regenerative hat on, you've got clover understories. So I've actually got quite a few clients that are, are doing this and I'm interested in doing this on my family farm. So, you know, establishing a clover understory underneath your wheat crop. Um, and then you've got, you know, clover's a legume that's going to fix nitrogen. Um, and then if you've got livestock in the rotation then you can graze that and from grazing that nitrogen you're going to fix more nitrogen I mean grazing that clover you're going to fix more nitrogen um and then you know you've got companion cropping um that's another way to get more nitrogen in the system um there's lots of really pe people it's just it's forced more people to think outside the box um which I do think is a good thing and just use less overall um I'm looking after some wild farmed wheat this year okay you may have not heard of, but it's um, it's a guy called Andy Cato, uh, who used to belong to the band Groove Amada. Right, okay. You might know of, people would recognise his music. Um, but he's basically growing wild farm wheat, so you use no sides. So no insecticides, no fungicides, no herbicides. And you can use a limited amount of fertiliser. But the whole idea is that you're growing, is so it's heritage wheat varieties, uh -huh. and you're growing them with basically less inputs so no sides and less fertilizer and the idea is that it's regeneratively grown wheat um, and it's better for the soil and they're encouraging people to do clover in the stories do buy cropping and have a rotation that's focusing on the soil health and increasing your microbes and your fungi and your protozoa in the soil um, by putting less inputs on which when you learn about what some of these like fertilizer does to the soil, you know, it really makes you question what you're putting on your crops. Well, we, we had at work uh, an interesting <coughs> thing. We've got students to do grass plots and they basically the opportunity to put um, certain levels of uh, uh, of organic fertilizer, so using slides. And uh, the thing that really interested me was, I think we had the option of putting just over the legal limit. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that happened, the earthworm populations on top was so high because it just became they couldn't live in it they had to leave yeah. and I thought that was so interesting um I mean as I've said at the start I'm not up on this side of things I find it interesting but not up on it but um what was the question yeah you're the 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 wheat you were talking about there you know insecticide no no fertilizer that sort of thing what sort of yield are you pulling off of that um no again that would depend on your soil type and yeah. historically if you've used a lot of muck then you'll have a lot of fertility in the soil uh if you've been looking after your soil and you've got high organic matter uh you've got a good soil structure um then you're you might the fertilizer is kind of the key thing i don't believe that you can wean i was having this conversation with someone earlier but i don't think you can wean um systems off nitrogen that quickly i think it's got to okay. be something that you do gradually but i would say that if your so if your soil's in good condition then you can get away with using a lot less nitrogen um and but it also depends you know your, your 
um, how many weeds you've got. If you've got a really big black grass problem and you yeah. try and not use herbicides, you're going to grow a very good crop of black grass. Um, so I think it depends on the system. But if you had a relatively clean farm with high organic matters um, that had been, you know, really looking after their soil for years and they were taking that further step down the regenerative route, which was, you know, using much lower inputs and using much lower fertilizer, I wouldn't like to put a figure on it, but I think that you would get, you know, average, average yields. Um, I would like to think that that you could do that, but we will see because I'll be sharing on my Instagram some of this wild farm wheat that I'm looking after this year because I'm very intrigued to see um, how it's going to do. But it's a new it's a new concept. There's a lot of people are doing that haven't done it before. Um, but I know there's people that are getting, you know, doing very low input crops and actually getting really decent yields. So yeah we'll, no we'll... i look forward to seeing how that goes actually that is very interesting so you do you think you mentioned there you can't sort of just take away nitrogen you've got to sort of wean off of it mm-hmm. is now i'm just trying to think in my head sort of graphically here is there what what does and i'm focusing highly on yield which is probably the wrong thing to focus on but what does yield look like if you've got a, a field that has been heavily nitrogen over the course of however long, and then you start to wean it off of that on a slow basis. Does does yield drop and then sort of come back up as you start, you know, integrating new um, biological assistance or or using using muck instead of sort of an organic nitrogen or looking at different um, like undersowing, like you said there. Uh, over time, does that start to creep back up, or is there a limit you just can't reach? I think that you would struggle to get the same yields that you had in your high input, high nitrogen system. But I would like to think that thing is that kind of system, you might have low fertility in the soil and your soil health might be low. But I'd like to think that, you know, you're going to have a dip, probably quite a big yield dip. But, you know, if you can build up, you know, improve your soil health, improve your organic matter, your soil structure, the amount of um, soil barley, biology um in the soil then i'd like to think you can you can over time you can produce a system that's functioning and cycling a lot better because ultimately you know when you plant a wheat crop it's how if you're not if it's not relying on inputs that you're putting it's relying on stuff that's already in the soil so the the over time if you can improve how your soil is and improve the ability for the plant to go out and make associations with the soil microbes to find those nutrients then I'd like to think that you could slightly start to go up, but I don't think you'd ever get to the point of a really, really high input system. I, you potentially potentially would do, but it's on that journey. It's trying to control from an agronomics point perspective. It's, you know, making sure you control your grass weeds. Um, you know, grass weeds, huge issue. You know, you could have the best soil and you could be getting really, you know, you could be, able to produce really good wheat crops but you know if you let all your grass weeds grow then ultimately you might peak but then it'll come back down because your your grass weeds will will get on top of you so interesting stuff it's, it's really oh god like every time i speak to someone like yourself speaking about agronomy speaking about whatever i'm like i really need to start learning more about this <laughs> then i don't think about it again. what's the exciting space but then it also you know a lot of it goes on um industry and um r d and what the what they can do there so you know if they can create varieties that are less reliant on nitrogen 
you know, genetically, or, you know, ones that are more nutrient dense, um, or ones that are, you know, better at, because ultimately crops, you're harvesting sunlight. That's what you're doing. That's how, that's how it grows. And if you've got a crop that's more efficient at doing that, um, then that's going to make, make a big difference. So I feel like we've kind of been breeding wheat cultures that thrive in high input systems. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to put those same cultures in the field and use a low input system and get the same yields. But I do think that, you know, if you speak to breeders now, they are kind of prioritizing, you know, nitrogen use efficiency, um, nutrition, rather than it just being uh, yield. Yeah. But then, you know, we also need high yields because we have a very big population and food security is definitely an issue. So it's for me, I, I don't, I don't want to be too far regenerative, but I don't want to be completely high input conventional. I like to try and put myself in the middle of, you know, we need to feed the world, but we also need to do it sustainably. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's where we need to be. You know, you've got some people that are just output based entirely. And then you speak to a lot of folk that are probably early adopters of of new techniques and whatnot are like hyper regenerative, but you need middle ground when you consider that population it just doesn't work without yeah it. i mean if we all were like oh we're never going to use fertilizer again yeah we wouldn't produce much food in this country so it's it's what can we do to be more sustainable and what changes can we make to our business businesses to so that's what i'm helping clients do is just make small changes and actually you know if you can be more efficient with your nitrogen and use less than your with how expensive it is your you're saving saving money and if you improve your soil health so that your your wheat is better at cycling those nutrients so it's you know you don't need to put as much on then you know you've got healthier soil and that's only gonna make your business more profitable um and more resilient in the long term oh definitely yeah definitely what, what's the company you're working for at the minute please series rural series series rural so <laughs> Series Rural is a new company, so I think they are about I think I've just turned two years old. Um, and they approached me when I was working for Hutchinson's. Um, you may know Charlie Island, Cheerful Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his yeah. Farm. So he's my boss. Um, and basically, so it's a new company that they're kind of there's no one else particularly occupying the space that they do. So they are farming consultants but they've also got agronomists. Okay. Um, so for me, I'm now an agronomist and a farming consultant. So like today I was on a farm because um, we're doing the Future Farm Resilience Fund, which is like DEFRA funded free business advice. Okay. Um, and I was there and I had my, you know, I was there in a capacity as an agronomist, but also a farming consultant, but also had kind of, they were really interested in region. So I was talking about regenerative agriculture. I could talk about livestock um, I could talk about all the new grants coming, so SFI, uh, countryside stewardship, and then I could also bring in the agronomic side. So for me, I feel like it's made me as an agronomist way better at my job because I'm not just handing over recommendations and walking crops. I'm also going, you know, how can we put in a countryside stewardship application and make it work with the farming? Um, and also look at their farm and be like, well, you know, I can save you some money at T2 with your fungicide spend, or why don't you rent out that shed around the back that's not doing anything? You know, I can 
really and for me as a farmer's daughter also that's all I want to do I want to make people's farming businesses better and a consultant that's just great because you know the more that I spend reading or learning the more knowledge I have in my head so when I'm out on my clients farms or delivering this advice to new other people you know um I can give them ideas and hopefully make their farm businesses better which is fulfilling for me yeah that's got to be pretty rewarding um especially having that big approach like your agronomist comes onto the farm and suddenly they're able to help you about diversification and livestock yeah that's good what's uh, what's Charlie like seems like a nice guy yeah he's lovely like he's such such a nice boss um yeah really good fun so I help him out um we work with some clients together um but he's very good very clever yeah we've got a very good team which is you know part of the reason that I wanted to to move because they're all really clever so I'm hoping some of that brushes off on me I think it's quite clear it does (laughs) (laughs) that's quite obvious um did you join as they start how, how soon after they started did you join it must have been pretty cool. um so I've I've only been there about uh well coming up to a year um yeah. so they've been going they've been going for just over a year when I when I joined um but I mean I'm very very busy so the company's doing well we're we've got a lot of work on um I've taken on quite a few new clients since I've been um with the company but right. yeah always hiring <laughs> excellent well here if anyone's listening need good graduates um i'll uh, i'll keep that in mind because obviously i see quite a lot of graduates i'm actually going to mean now you say that Uh, but uh yeah no good to know good to know and you you speak if you go onto your uh, instagram and if you're listening and you want to to follow louise it's louise pen agronomy is that right agronomy agronomist yeah agronomy um it's it's a good name it's a good name um i i actually thought your name was Louise Pena for so long because <laughs> I've been reading it wrong uh, yeah so I was reading it entirely wrong uh, and then I just kind of the name was long I kind of forgot the next part but yeah for a while I thought that so I might have actually written the first zoom invite as Louise Pena before I realized so that was That's embarrassing. Okay, <laughs> um, you, you speak a lot about regenerative agriculture regenerative farming from from what I remember actually your three pinned posts are talking about that um, and regenerative farming is a thing we've heard everyone say and I think we don't yet have a from what I understand a strict definition of what regenerative farming is and it's sort of aimed at soil health and whatnot but what's what's your take on regenerative farming? Um, it's difficult a lot of people don't like the word or the phrase but I think that it's when you've got a name to something it just means that it grain I think it gains traction quicker so I don't mind the term regenerative agriculture, but for me, I think it's just any farm that is, you know, you've got the five different principles, which I mentioned on my Instagram. Um, I'll remember these now, but, um, you know, adding, adding diversity, you know, moving, moving the soil less, having uh, living roots in the soil, soil armour, uh, integrating livestock. I think that's probably missed one. Um, <laughs> I think any any farmer that's doing some degree of of those and you know basically just looking after their soil and trying to be be more sustainable can consider themselves adopting regenerative practices but I think it's you know some people go you know readers a bit, a bit cult-like and it's you know I, I don't think it is I think you know most yeah. of the farmers that I mean I mean some of them 
they don't care that much about their soil they're just bought a direct drill because fuel you know the diesel costs went up ridiculous labor costs are really high they can't pay someone to sit on a plow because they can't afford the diesel or the or the guy on the plow so it's not not everyone's doing those practices because they want to be a regen farmer but for me it just so I've got a new client that I accidentally have got very into regen um but for him he just said it's made for him it's made farming exciting for him again okay yeah doing the same thing year on year on year on year you know it's not you know you get the piece of kit out the shed you sit on it you drill you know you put your spray on that's just what you do it's the same thing I mean for me farming's very exciting but you ultimately you do the same different things on the farm every year so for him he just said it's added a whole new world and a whole new layer because instead of just thinking like surface level he's thinking about the stuff under our feet which is kind of how I got into regen and more soil health you know I was walking out in the field and just thinking you know here's the crop but then you think about all the stuff that's going on below the ground that you don't know about because there's so much we don't know about the soil and for him he said he's just so interested like there's just so many it's like a big can of worms that have been opened quite literally and he's yeah. just really excited about his day job again um so yeah that, that's a really interesting take isn't it because like yes farming changes all the time of course it does but for the most part the sort of principles are the same and it's quite interesting looking each year on year we're gonna have to make minor changes and whatnot and and, and we look at you know, I feel like it's something probably we bring up and uh, a lot, but needs to be brought up is, is mental health and people sort of making sure that they're not just bored in this industry. They're not, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's got to be another benefit to it. And one that I, never I think did. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. That's why I love Regenerative Agriculture, because there is a there's a really big community. Yes. And it's it's all done. I mean, yeah, there's lots of books. I've got loads of books, but it's most of it is farmer to farmer knowledge sharing. So I'm a member of Base UK, which is like a group. Um, I also go to a lot of farm walks and I just feel like the farmers that are being more innovative and you know thinking outside the box and doing different things they're the ones that are you know they're part of farm clusters they're part of um they go along to farm groups they go along to talks you know they spend so much time talking about what they're doing i mean and i think for that you know you don't have to be talking to someone and saying you know i'm having i'm really really struggling with my mental health or you know, um, I'm feeling really stressed out, but just by talking and going to a group and seeing lots of other farmers and talking about farming, you know, they, 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 I feel like farmers are opening up to each other more because the thing with regenerative agriculture, I feel like the kind of impression I get is, is it's very okay to make a mistake. Yes. Yeah. You, you might put a cover crop in and it might fail. That's, that's, that's normal. And I feel like it's more okay to, to, to not do things perfect so I just feel like farmers are just a bit more opening it at saying you know I, I did this wrong but I learned from it so I feel like mentally I think it's just a really good group for farmers to be part of and I definitely think that 
Um, and for me, I've met so many friends. I've got some really good friends that I've literally met through going to farm walks. And for me, that's that's really nice. Whereas, you know, I wouldn't have got that if I wasn't interested in in all these different things. Just going to walk or just going to a meeting or whatever and having a chat is one of the best things there is for anything, whatever that might be. Yeah, you know, exactly. Happiness is, is, is brilliant. And I think over COVID, like you mentioned at the start, a lot of one of your jobs for Hutchison's was Teams-based. Like, mm. I was the same, and I hated it. <laughs> like, mm. I hated it. Uh, it's all right here and there for things like this, but there's the only form of communication. It's really tough. So, uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been nice to get back to farm. Well, I'm not doing farm walks, but that sort of thing, farm walks, market shows and whatnot. Um, you you post a lot on Instagram, uh, Louise, and, and a lot of good stuff in fairness. I've been quite a fan for a while even if I did have your name wrong um when did that start was that start when you started this job or is it before that um I've been posting for a long 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 time I mean I had an Instagram in 2016 and yeah. I must admit it was more of a fitness Instagram because I'm very okay. um I'll just say it because people know that so I don't want to lie <laughs> um and so I was posting stuff on that but so I've got my own I've got my own gym um I converted one of the barns at home into the rural gym um Excellent. so that was that was kind of my lockdown project so over lockdown I was kind of you know I was filming basically it turning from a very dusty barn into yeah. a gym um and it was me trying to source equipment when there was absolutely no equipment um so because for me for well for the men, going back to mental health for me the gym and working out um is kind of my break from yeah. I love farming it's nothing to do with farming it's my, it's my break and um, kind of my me time uh, which I think is really important so I was kind of posting on there but then I was also posting increasingly more about food and I guess in the fitness sphere there's a lot of people talking about nutrition and food mm -hmm. and don't eat meat and do eat this and don't eat that and it was just really aggravating me um some of the lies or just lack of knowledge about farming and where yeah. your food comes from. Um, and at the time there was the NFU petition um, about uh, food and where your food comes from and basically trying to explain to people that we have the highest welfare standards in the world. And there was a lot of stuff to do with, with trade and where your food comes from and, you know, British, British packaging on the labels and all of that kind of stuff and backing British farming. So I started to post more about that. And I guess loads of people just said to me, like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, I didn't realise so much about that. And I would always post stuff about lambing um, on my story. And then from there, I just kind of, I just take a lot of pictures. And my camera roll was just full of, you know, amazing pictures of, of crops and stuff on the farm. And I just kind of started posting more about that kind of stuff and then, got rid of the fitness stuff and realized that actually I'm much more passionate about sharing farming and just trying to educate people where your food comes from and encouraging people to buy British and actually you know when they walk in the supermarket know what what is in season and actually you know because ultimately we all have farming businesses but it's all about consumer you know purchase of power what the consumer buys and there's not enough people out there like I mean supermarkets are rubbish you you go in January and it's Beganuary or whatever and they're yeah. people to eat avocados and salads and nothing that's in season in the UK 
and you know consumers they just have the general public have absolutely no idea about food um where stuff comes from so for me a lot of it is just trying to educate the public but at the same time sharing also sharing like my passion and yeah. knowledge between farmers as well I guess I love that I mean like I was sort of the other way around I mean I was very much not a fit person <laughs> three years ago uh, and then I started posting about food and farming and I've sort of went the other side where I start posting about human nutrition and whatnot now and the benefits yeah. of farm-based products and whatnot uh, so it's quite, it's quite like obviously the opposite but the veganuary thing's something I spoke on the last podcast yeah um, I know what sort of <coughs> gave me a platform first video I made actually done anything if that makes sense and uh, I'm like what I've, I've spoken about the benefits of veganism on so many occasions but it's not environmental in this country and also if you're going to do it January is the last time how's this been a thing uh, like I don't know how, <laughs> how that's happened but it has anyway um, and I think it's one we've got to curb but uh, I kind of want to see the the gym transformation I kind of want to make a gym but I don't space in this flat but maybe in another I think place. it's still I think it's still a reel on my Instagram the transformation still there. yeah, yeah. I have to look that one up we have to look that one up um I see you're an NFU young ambassador Louise, which is, yeah. is something that I have a few folk on um that are that uh, and it's something that we don't have up in NFU Scotland well we have ambassadors I'm a young ambassador technically but we don't have the same sort of program you have um and I think it's a great program could you tell us a bit about that yeah, so I saw the likes of Rebecca Wilson and Biz Walters and uh, all of the great stuff that they were doing last year. And I I mean, I, I get kind of feel like on my page, I'm already kind of doing like backbridge farming and trying to yeah. promote mental health. And um, But for me, I was like, you know what, it can elevate what I'm doing. Um, I want, I'd like to do more stuff like this going forward, like in my career um and for me learn more about what the nfu does and since i have started you know i'm not interested in politics doesn't really excite me Me neither. But, no. yeah. but you know it's a crazy crazy time for politics at the moment you know we're probably we're going to have a general election next year wouldn't be surprised if it's labor judging by uh well trees of coffee at the nfu conference wasn't very yeah. impressive um but <laughs> I think that lost a lot of votes for uh, farmers' confidence in the government to deliver on farming. But aside from that, you know, the political side, as much as, you know, I could have loads and loads of followers, but I'm not really going to do that much. It's, you know, so much of what needs to happen is driven by policy and government. So I think it's so important. I suppose it's so important for us to understand what, you know, the NFU actually has such an important role in lobbying and trying to get the government to kind of follow what farmers want and be that voice in between. Um, and for me, learning about more of the political side has just been really, really interesting. And now I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, I should probably write to my local MP and, you know, invite them to the farm and all of that kind of stuff, which you hear people say, but it is really important because, you know, they're going to write their manifestos and if you can get something in in that manifesto, then they're going to have to deliver on it. So that's a really unique position than, you know, just when you've got a, a government rolling on one year to the next. Well, that's at least what I understand. But yeah, <laughs> only no, new politics. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I embarrassingly four weeks ago on the podcast, 
um, went to mention uh, our prime minister and then couldn't remember his name. So like, I'm not exactly. <laughs> I'm not up on this stuff. I do now know it's Rishi Sunak. Uh, yeah, I, I do know that as well. It's very <laughs> confusing. It's just been too many. Well, we haven't a few, haven't we? Um, we had more more prime ministers than monarchs last year, which is quite random. But uh, yeah, it's politics is not a thing I'm a fan of, but I think we need to be maybe not strictly involved in politics, but certainly getting politics involved with us and, and showing the positives, like you say, which I think is a very, very good point. What what other things does being an ambassador then, if you, what, what things are involved? Are you at conferences? Are you, what, what, what do you get to do? Um, so I had some training, went to the NFU conference, got the opportunity to sit down with Mark Spencer and ask him some questions, um, which is quite, you know, I was into the Farmers Weekly podcast um, after I left the conference and he was talking about everyone there. And I was like, oh, wow, I actually got to speak to pretty much all of those people in person, which yeah. is quite a unique, uh, unique thing to be able to do. I asked a question at conference, which I kind of accidentally did. It was a really thought provoking uh, talk on food and nutrition, actually. Yeah. Um, and so I asked a question around like, uh, yeah, regenerative farmers and like nutritious food and how we can educate consumers to you know buy that kind of food but also reward farmers for you know producing food in that way um and ask that in front of like everyone and I was like oh that's quite scary actually um but yeah I encourage you know public speaking I've written quite a few articles I've got another article to write this week um for the NFU magazine so opportunities like that and then we've got going to the House of Parliament and a few shows in the summer and just meeting the rest of the cohort, the ambassadors this year and the previous ambassadors, there's some really switched on amazing people that are, for me, like I speak to lots of other agronomists, I speak to lots of other farmers. It's the people in the other areas of the supply chain that I find yeah. really interesting to look, to listen to. So whether they're, you know, working for a supermarket or they're, working with carbon or you know there's a guy this year that has his own market garden and has his own veg scheme that he delivers on a bicycle I mean there's who's another that? guy that lives uh who's that um his guy name's Hamish yeah I thought that. His details you you should interview him he'd be really interesting What's your name? oh I've, I knew it was going to be Hamish that's terrible I can't remember his surname yeah no I, I know I know exactly what you mean but um <laughs> There's some really, really interesting people. And for me, I don't know, I always look at people that are older than me and they just know everyone in the industry. And I think it's so important as a young person to also know loads and loads of different people. Yeah. Um, so for me, just meet, meeting all these other young people that are doing like exciting stuff. And I guess, you know, we're all passionate about farming and trying to make a difference and trying to change and we've got lots of exciting stuff we want to do this year we want to like raise some money for charity and uh, do the free peaks or something like that and Excellent. we're gonna meet up and go to each other's farms and try and like share knowledge between each other so lots of exciting stuff but like you're saying about older people that have a network in the industry just look at the, the network you've got you know you're you're not even 25 you know like that's impressive um, mm. it's amazing what you can build up with social media as well yeah, it's that, that and I have met a lot of people through social media and I get a lot of people messaging me and asking me questions um but yeah going out to farm walks like I literally made two really really good friends two girls and we're actually all going to Canada um traveling together in July and Excellent. we're going to regen farms so I'm really excited 
Oh, it's like traveling with work. Uh, it's not work. We're just going on holiday, but we also want to go see some farms because we're all sad and like farming too much. Um, it sounds like there's a bit of work in there, Louise. It's like <laughs> a wee bit anyway, because um, we're all sad. Really. <laughs> Here, passion's not sad. Passion's not sad. We've got to stop pretending that it is. Um, no, here, time always flies by when you do these podcasts. That's already been 55 minutes, just sort of disappears. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I was looking at like the other ones and I was like, they're so long. <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> talk that long. No, that's a lie. I can talk forever. I'm very good at talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm about the same. I'm about the same. I was actually speaking to someone. Someone had asked me to do some kind of film shoot recently and they were like, um, how much do you talk on camera? And I was like, well, I've done a bit of sort of piece to cameras and whatnot, but like, if you include this, I've done, a, and I went and checked the day after, I've done 135 hours of podcast. Uh, and then, yeah, I spend my life speaking in front of students. And sometimes I think I can't talk to people, and then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I definitely can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrong here. Um, but no, here, it's, it's been class. I, I love getting folk in the crop side on. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I always worry I don't do the interviews justice because I'm like, oh, God, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you certainly knew what you were talking about, and, and you, you covered I everything. Hope, I hope people think so, anyway. <laughs> no, here, the first sentence you said, I was like, so that's four words I don't know the meaning of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, really interesting, really enjoyed it. But there's two questions. I don't know if you ever listened to the podcast before. Uh, there's two questions that I ask every single person that comes on. And uh, the first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is, if you had any tips for folk coming into the industry, and focus on agronomy if you want, um, what would they be? Uh, in five years' time, I would like to hopefully still be working for Sewage Rural, um, have lots of really progressive forward-thinking farmers um, and have made be making lots of differences to their farm business and hopefully have some kind of either be back on the farm or have some kind of small holding and have some kind of side hustle be growing my own veg, have some livestock. Excellent. And then tips for people coming into the industry. Um, I think just take every opportunity and really you know, just attend things. Like I used to, I go to, I go <laughs> to shows, I talk. You know, if I, if I go, if I go to an event, I go up and I talk to the people that I want to talk to and I, you know, I make it known that who I am and, and I ask the right questions um, and find what you're really passionate about and interested in. And then then your day job is really exciting and you, you, you're you interested in doing it. And then it doesn't feel like a job and you probably end up like me working too much and your job becomes your life. But it's very fulfilling and, and that that that's what makes it good. So find something you're really interested in learn all about it and then it won't feel like work and you'll have a great life (laughs) I think that's such an excellent point like I mean I never feel like I'm really working um because you just enjoy what you're doing and that's more important than the money that's coming in that's more important than whatever you know exactly uh, and I liked your point about sort of going up and just speaking to the folk you want to talk to like when I probably just came out of uni, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go to the show, Highland Show, and whatever, and I'm going to speak to this person, whatever. And then I'd see them and I'd be like, <laughs> but you get Yeah, so much. no, I know what you mean, but you've just got to, 
you just yeah. got to go and you've got to do it like there's loads of stuff like I really want to do a Nuffield as well that's next on my list for a few years time but yeah. an application as we speak oh yeah. really yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah. super exciting looking at social media so that's my thing I've written a draft proposal for a PhD in social media but I think Nuffield would be a good kickoff oh yeah so I really want to do a Nuffield yeah but, yeah. You know, I've literally got a list of the year and what I want to do that year in terms of like courses or goals or whatever. Oh my god! Wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's so. And I, I just got like, there's different things I want to do, and I just try and do them. So. Yeah, that, you know, that's organised. Like, I mean, I, I like to think I'm pretty organised, but that's quite something. I haven't got that. That's for sure. I feel like yeah. I look organised. I'm not always organised. I'm kind of running around in a mad rush most of the time trying to get everything done. But people think I'm organised, so that's all right. Yeah, I'm pretty organised. That does. Uh, the plans for what's happening when. Good God, that's good going. Um, but no, it's been great to chat. Hopefully over the next few years we get to follow you, see where you're going in the Nuffield. Um, yeah. You're obviously going to Canada on a holiday to look at farms, but you obviously are quite interested in this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, thank you very much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Uh, I hope it's been a good time. Yeah, no, really enjoyed it. It's, uh... good. And you said you hadn't really done this sort of thing before. You're certainly very good at it. So uh, I'm sure well, I, like I spent a lot of time talking to my phone. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to talk to someone else that's not just no one on the end of my phone when I'm doing stories on Instagram. So No, excellent. Well, here's been a pleasure being the person on the other side. So thank you for coming on. Appreciate your time. Uh, for those of you listening, I'm sure you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast. As I said last week, we had Millie Fife, uh, ex, um, ex-English Young Farmers National Chair, uh, and sort of PR and marketing her, is her thing in farming these days. Next week, we'll have uh, Justine, I'm sure her surname's Fulton, but I keep forgetting and saying it wrong, uh, Rack of Glam on Instagram, uh, a butcher. Uh, I'm not sure actually if we're in England, but somewhere in England, a good chat there as well, and uh, quite a few more coming quickly pushing towards that 100th episode which uh, I'm going to start saying now is um, going to be quite a big episode it's not a person coming on uh, but there's a big um, what would I say a big announcement coming for the 100th episode so all quite exciting for those of you that have been listening for well two and a bit years now um, all I'm going to say is we are now opening a third series of podcasts so we've got the people in farming like we have today with Louise we've got the groups in farming like we had with QMS last week uh, and now we have something else I'm not going to say anymore so exciting times ahead for the R2Cast I hope you've enjoyed Uh, thank you very much to Louise and we shall see you for R2Cast number 92 next week I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.